Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today a very exciting founder. We're definitely going to be learning a lot about transitioning from Europe to the U.S. and being more successful first in the U.S. and then Europe coming after, which is something that, that actually happens. But I think that in any case, you guys will find it inspiring, you know, all about building, scaling, financing, acquisition interest, I mean, you name it. So I guess Without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. And his name is Stefan. And let me see if I get it right. Leatherer, welcome to the show. Exactly. Thanks for having me. So, Stefan, originally born and raised in the south of Austria. So, uh, how was life growing up there? I'm sure there was a ton of skiing. Definitely. <laughs> that's, that's basically one of my first memories. So, you spend your life your winters um, on the on the mountains, your summers as well. So it's an amazing place to to grow up, but um, it's it's also important to get out. The mountains are also limiting sometimes. So I really enjoy to to explore the world afterwards. And how did you get this love for engineering? You know, it seems that you know quite early on you started you know to really get into the problem solving you know, type of approach. So how did you get into, you know, this whole engineering aspect? I always loved technology and um, engineering. I, I always played around with with stuff, always <laughs> dismantled all my toys just to figure out how they work. And that ultimately led me to engineering school and um, engineering university, university um, pursuing computer science and um, computer and software engineering studies and yeah i love it i also love the inter intersection between technology and business so you can actually create value by by technology so that that was always a passion like writing software doing something with it making money with it at the end of the day um that was always super inspiring for me and it was like seeing all the technology companies in the silicon valley was definitely a a North Star for me is like, okay, that's that's all that is possible. So that's one of the reasons why I I yeah went into engineering early on. And for you, I mean, university was a big deal. I mean, you studied so many degrees, uh, your first year degree, then the 
PhD. I mean, you name it. I mean, why did you study so much? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I get get easily bored. Um, I, I I studied computer science, and then I thought, like, hey, I, I love business as well. So I studied business in an additional degree, and um, then it it became interesting. And the more time I spent with topics, the more interested I get into them. Um, I had my 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 work experiences in between, but I decided to go back and pursue my PhD. And during the PhD, we did interesting things, and um, that led finally to 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 start Bitmovins. And I I I guess I need. I need things to keep me busy, otherwise I, I get bored. That led also to to quite a lot of activities around my university time. So. Got it. And in your case, after after university, I mean, even in between, I mean, you were you were obviously doing your stints uh, in the labor world, in really being an employee and and figuring out how you know corporations you know really worked. I mean, you did a bunch of consulting as well, you know, and I think that that also kind of like polishes a little bit more how you're thinking about problem solving. So that was a really nice segue for you actually to start bit moving. So so can you tell us about how you came up with the idea of of bit moving? I mean, what was that what were the sequence of events that really needed to happen from, you know, idea to incubation to giving birth to it? I mean, what what did that look like? We we slipped into it a little bit out of our PhD research. We worked on streaming standards in particular, and there was an upcoming streaming standard. It's called um, MPEG Dash, and um, the purpose of that was to enable uh, open standard for all the streaming services out there. And um, we benchmarked our implementations. We we wrote the first implementations. We we showed the industry through our open source examples and implementations, how it could work. And then based on that, we optimized things. And so like, hey, we can stream a higher quality. We can build a streaming system with better compression and things like that. And we, we benchmarked ourselves against like existing solutions on the market, um, primarily in the context of research. Um, but we also published all of those results because we said, okay, people need to reproduce what we are doing. And we always wanted to spread the things that we are doing. So um, this research results at the end of the day created a lot of attention. We got like thousands of, of, of downloads and hundreds of thousands of visitors on our, our website. TV manufacturers contacted us to use our open source code in their TV sets. Companies contacted us. We 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 um, saw an opportunity. Like we saw, okay, this whole streaming thing is taking off. And um, even before, like the huge um, like success of Netflix and all those other services, they were all still at the beginning. YouTube was was already pretty decent, but also at the beginning compared to where it is today. And um, yeah, we, we, we thought, okay, that there is something happening. There's something really at the beginning of a bigger trend. And um, we started to spread out our, our, our wings and um, started to talk with companies and um, started to try to build products. And in the course of that, we suddenly ran into into venture capital people and they're like hey 
it sounds pretty cool what you guys are doing and your your results um, and, and improvements are really meaningful that people would pay money for that so would you like to take some venture capital money and build products and um, scale that further so we went back and googled what venture capital is <laughs> after we found that one out um, we thought okay that's cool let's 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 consider that a little bit deeper and that were the beginnings of, of Bitmovin. And in terms of, you know, especially for the people that are listening and, and watching, I mean, what ended up being the business model of Bitmovin? How do you guys make money? So we started to take all the technology improvements, like those are research um, improvements and those are the patents that we create. And those things are great basis. I mean, that's for a deep technology company, you need engineering and um, technology differentiation. But then we took those things and said, like, okay, what are the actual products that people can buy and how can they buy them? So we started different like test balloons. Like we, we started a video compression service and we started um, a video player. And we started them separate from each other. We, we put together a website where you can like sign up and click on like buy here for, for our video player. We started with a pure domain model because others did it similar at the time. And yeah, we sold our first player licenses and the website and everything was put together in, in, in a few days. It was really basic, but we wanted to test out would people pay for it. And we did the same thing for video compression software. Then we, we, we got our first learnings, we got our first customers, we like fine-tuned a lot of the like business model, we changed the pricing model, for example, and over two or three years, we found a pretty good fit in terms of like what's the right product, what's the right target audience, the right target market. Um, so there was a lot of iteration. And yeah, I think it, it took us two or three years to find the right the right product um, and then we scaled it from there and for you guys you know it seems that the u.s was always in mind you know in fact you went to y combinator uh and obviously i'm sure that that was a remarkable experience but but why the u.s before really establishing yourselves in europe why what what, what was in your head or or in your analysis or in that strategic roadmap that you had in mind why, why was the u.s more important for you guys as a first stop before really making it happen in Europe? Um, we, when we put up those products on um, the internet, on the websites that we built, um, we saw a lot of interest from the US. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just because there are more companies, maybe people are like more eager to try out new things. Um, Maybe people are a little bit more open to, to newcomers to the market. And um, some of those factors like contributed that our first customers uh, came from the US. And um, we, we also got like, customers in Europe, but we, we really got the, the, the bigger push in the US early on. We got some really nice logos that are rememberable. And um, those important logos, again, helped us in Europe and on a global basis to get traction. Um, but it was easier for us with those U.S. clients at the beginning 
and um, going to the US and from the US going internationally again. This was a great experience for us. And as a European founder, I'm sure that landing in Silicon Valley and uh, you know being exposed to 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 that environment, you know, I'm sure it was quite shocking for you. How was that for you? It was it was pretty crazy. I mean, we 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 have so many great memories from the the Silicon Valley. We met our first investors that are actually European or Austrian investors in the Bay Area because we were on a business trip and we tried to reach out to people and meet people and found our Austrian investors in the Bay Area. We found our first employee from Austria in the Bay Area and we interviewed him at the Starbucks in San Jose. And um, yeah, then also like pitching to investors like in the Bay Area, we we paid 20 bucks to be at this small pitching event and we saw how that works and how open people are in the US. Um, like I, I remember this guy um, in front of us was pitching in, in khaki shorts and in Hawaii shirt. And um, he did a great job. He got an investment right out of the gate. And I was like, I was so impressed. Like people really, really just look at what are you doing and what are your, the things that you bring to the table, not how you look like or where you come from. So that was really, really cool. And um, you immediately can get a meeting with people. Everybody is open to talk to you. There's a lot of movement. We talked to so many really amazing people from really amazing companies around our products. Um, that that was it's really like uh, ten or a hundred times faster than everything that we saw in 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 Europe early on. So it was really a great experience and it's still a great experience. And Y Combinator was an amazing accelerator in this middle of the of this verbal event. And um, yeah, it was, it's a great place to scale a company and to to get like feedback and to figure out what's your product market fit. And how was that before and after on Y Combinator? I mean, I'm sure that that experience for you guys was quite remarkable. So what was the before and after? Before we thought, okay, yeah, let's conquer the world. Everybody on the planet can be a customer. And um, that, was, that was like our naive way of looking at it. And then we went through Y Combinator and they really, really um like focused us it's like okay not everybody in the world is is your customer like you need to have focus what's your beach chat? who how who does um how does your customer really look like what's your product how do they engage with you what's the go-to-market model and like okay good questions and um they also like really pushed us to to go out and talk to customers we 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 got feedback from people by Putting a, a, a ad on um, Crunchlist and uh, um, on, on um, like we ask people to to like take half an hour with us and walk through our website and our product and give us um, give us um, feedback and that was a great experience and they also pushed us to to reach out to potential customers like how many people you contacted this week uh, ten can you make it fifty next week maybe. Okay, then come back next week and like, okay, how many people you contacted? Fifty. I'm like, okay, can you make it five hundred? Uh, if I stop sleeping, maybe. So they really built things for for scale and um, really built like machines and they have really good playbooks that you can 
put together for what fits your company the best and um, was a really extremely helpful school. Um, not necessarily, they don't help you to build the technology, but they really help you to build the business model and the go-to-market model and scale it and um, refine your vision and like give you give you a focus. I think that's that was the big learning and eye-opening experience for us. And how would you say that also it helped you from a network perspective? Because I think that from a network perspective, it also accelerates things, you know, the ecosystem that, that they have and the access to other founders, the access to other investors. So, you know, there's always a lot of people that, that think about accelerators and incubators, but there's a lot of noise out there and there is really, you know, only a few, Y Combinator being, being one of the top programs. But, but people really, you know, are thinking about going to these places for network. I mean, it's just like, university, you have all the content online. Why do you go to like a Harvard or a Stanford? It's because of the network too. So in Y Combinator, how would you say that you were also able to ramp up your network as well? Absolutely. I mean, it is a door opener for so many things and it gives you so much more attention on the market and acceleration. So I think they're doing it really, really well by basically building their foundation and like setting you up with the right things. Um, and then like also putting you on the stage um, on the market and um, like really like accelerating you with the publicity and with the, the Y Combinator network that you get. You have access to all the former Y Combinator companies. That's a tremendous initial boost. Um, and then like with all the, the media work that you can do and the press that you can get from uh, Y Combinator um, participation, that's a, and again an additional accelerator. And I'm still using so many of my, my contacts um, from Y Combinator to get feedback. Like so many founders that are at the same stage or maybe a little bit ahead of us. And it's like ask them for advice on so many different things, asking the Y Combinator partners for advice. It's, it's such a powerful network to have just to ask continuously. It's not like you do the program and you're done. You are, you're part of this community and that's extremely valuable. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And in, in your guys' case with Bitmobile, what was that, that moment where you really knew you had product market fit? What did that look like? Once we like really saw customers coming to us and scaling up and really like having this repeated growth every quarter, there's something that goes up, um, and to the right. And um, we had that, yeah, like right out of Y Combinator, and then, then like consistently. I think we, we, we grew on a low basis. Obviously, we grew like seven times in um, one year um, right out of Y Combinator, and then we we surpassed our first million in in revenue, and um, that's kind of this this like so, um, sonic wall where you think like okay. That's something that's that's really here to stay. It's not just single customers that think that that we are doing a good thing. It's like a real a bunch of customers, a real real group of customers that think we do something well, and um, you can learn from from every additional customer, and you can can build a better product. And um, yeah, I think that's really the, the the point where you realize you have product market fit, and um, then 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 they have to scale. That's that's a very different challenge, but um, yeah, I think surpassing a million in revenue was a big, big, 
step one. Of course. And as you're thinking about scaling and ramping up, you know, obviously capital raising comes to mind. So how much capital have you guys raised today for the company? Yeah. So after we, we hit our first, um, first million in revenue, we went into a series A with Atomico. Um, that was 10 million in our series B with, um, Highland um, in Europe, that was another 30 million. And just recently, we did a Series C with, um, with Swiss Conventures, another 25 million. So we now um, surpassed the 60 million in, in venture capital. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, like really getting all those partners for the different stages. Um, and also like, a lot of responsibility with the, the money that you take. I mean, to build a proper business, um, yeah, it's it's a great experience. A lot of money, but also a lot of responsibility. Of course, I mean, with money in comes expectations for money out. You know, eventually. So with returns. So I I can totally get that. So I guess as you're thinking about you know your experience and dealing with investors in Europe, you know, and also investors in the U.S. What would you say has been like the the main differentiator, you know, from the investor mindset, you know, of someone that is like that U.S. investor mentality versus someone that has the European mentality? It depends. You you definitely see similar types of investors on both sides of the pond. Having that said, um, you have those like really really ambitious and successful investors a little bit more in the U.S. They really have those like billion dollars and $10 billion exits that's, uh, that a lot of the Bay Area tier one funds have. Um, those guys and girls are, are very inspirational. It's like really interesting if you meet somebody who is on the meters list in the top 10, um, that's an amazing experience. And um, those, those folks really, really know the business. Um, and but it's it's a different thing. Like you really have to to think like who is the right who is the right partner for your company and for your business. And we we talk to so many different investors, and not everybody is the right fit. It's like you when you take venture capital and you get an additional board member. That's a very tight relationship. It's a long relationship, and um, that's something where you have to be very sure about like the the, the fit. And um, I think also like the, the need that you have at this particular time. So all of our investors always have been tremendously helpful to us. And I think we picked based on those criterias um, a lot. And um, we picked people from, from the US, we picked people from, the, from Europe, from the UK, from Austria, from Switzerland, um, we picked, um, U.S. entrepreneurs who switch to um, the, the venture capital side and are now in Europe. So it's like really also interesting to see this experience of bringing engineering from one side of the pond to the market on the other side of the pond. So um, there, it was always important to us to, to have people who understand that. And um, I think we, we made a good choice with the folks that we have on board. So then going now to Bitmovin. So thinking about Bitmovin and, and, and more importantly, like thinking about the vision, right? So imagine you go to sleep tonight and tremendous news and you wake up in a world five years later where the vision 
of the company is fully realized. What does that world look like? That's like when I go to any product manager of any internet businesses and um, ask him or her like, hey, you, you need to add video to your offering. Shall it be your e-commerce, your app, your media company? Um, whom you're talking to? And they're like, yeah, Bitmovin. That's the API for video. And um, that's, my, that's my vision, um, like really building this category leader. It's the same way as you ask somebody, hey, what are you using for, for your CRM system? Like 90% say Salesforce. Or like, what are you using for like communication APIs, Billio? What are you using as a cloud provider, AWS? And like really being like this category leader, also like a, a little bit of an iconic company in that particular space. And we saw so many iconic companies doing it for like customer support, like Sendesk or communication, like Intercom or Twilio for communication or Stripe, for example, for payments. And that's kind of our vision, like building a really great company. And yeah, hope to wake up in five years from now and have that in front of us. That's amazing. I love it. So imagine now I put you in a time machine and I'm transporting you back in time, obviously with, with all the knowledge and everything that, that you've been able to gather since 2012. And you're able to have a conversation with your younger self, that younger self that finished school, did a little bit of consulting here and there. Uh, and now, you know, this younger self that is thinking about maybe like launching a company, maybe launching Bitmovin. If you were able to have a chat with your younger self and give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a company, what would that be and why, given what you know now? I wish that I would have spent more time in the workforce before starting the company, like working for a really amazing company um, and leaders. I think that's something just to learn, just to learn a lot of those things and how to to how how great organizations look like. I think that's a that's an experience that I missed, and that would I I would recommend to to my younger self. And if I'm still too eager for that and still want to jump at it right out of the gate, then just talking and learning as much as possible, like figuring out how other companies are doing it, how other leaders are doing it. Um, when when you start your first your company at such a young age, you you just lack a lot of the battle scars and a lot of the experiences, and um, that's something which is great to learn. It's probably one of the most amazing reasons to do the job, the learning aspect. Um, but um, it's also really really good to not not. You don't need to do every single mistake by yourself. You can learn from others as well. And that's what happens when you talk to other people, when you build a network of, of advisors and coaches and friends. And just be open with things. I mean, that's, that's also one thing I learned in the Bay Area. Like, it really, really helps you if you just say it straight out and be open with things. There's no reason to sugarcoat anything or to... to to not tell everything. I mean, I, I I really enjoy this openness and that really gives me like a lot of great feedback from people that did 
mistakes before, mistakes that I can learn from, that did great things before that I can learn from. So I think that's what I would recommend my younger self to like be super open, search this network, go out and talk with people and learn as much as possible. I love it. And for the people that are listening, Stefan, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Oh, just add me on, on LinkedIn um, or shoot me an email at stefan at bitmovement.com. I'm always keen to meet people. I'm also keen always to, to help people paying forward all the help that I get. And um, yeah, it's, it's great to, to mingle. Amazing. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you so much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.